The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. If you would, turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. Go ahead and turn there. You may say, well, I know that verse, and, uh, but go ahead and turn there. Uh, a couple's been married for 50 years, and uh, things had really changed, she said. Uh, said, you used to sit close to me. He said, well, I can remedy that, and he got moved closer to her on the couch. And you used to hold me tight, she said. How's that, as he gave her a big hug? and You used to nuzzle my neck and nibble on my earlobes. He jumped to his feet and started out of the room. She said, where are you going? He said, I'll be right back. I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Two weeks from today, uh, I'm going to preach a mini-series on marriage, okay? Whether you've been married 50 years or whether you've been married uh, six months or whether you're getting married in the next few years, I think it'll be relevant if you've, uh, if I did your wedding in the last five or six years, you've heard most of what I'm going to talk about. Week one, we're going to talk about what women want. Now, you say, Jake, how would you know that? Well, I think I've got a pretty good grasp, and it's not all, it's not all from, uh, from me, but some folks that study marriage and different things. So what women want, if you, if you would say, boy, I just don't understand my wife sometimes, well, come. I might help you a little bit on that. The second week will be Father's Day. We're going to talk about what every man needs. You have a difficulty on Father's Day saying, okay, what... What does my husband need? What can I get him? What can I give him? Well, we're going to talk about that. What, what every man needs. So what every woman wants is the first week. What every man needs is the second week. And then the third week, we're going to talk about a fair proof in your marriage. So those three topics, what every woman wants, what every man needs, and then a fair proof in your marriage, we'll be covering that in two weeks. Next week, uh, I told y'all last week what I'm going to preach on. What am I going to preach on next week? <laughs> no, that's two weeks. Next week, John 3.16. I told y'all last week. Somebody said that over here, I think. Uh, so today we're going to be in John 3.16. Next week we're going to be in John 3.16. But I want you to come back, and if you could sum up the Gospels in one Scripture verse... This morning we could ask you, what would you choose? You're going to sum up the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going to try to condense them and put them in one verse. I think John 3.16 would be a pretty good choice for summing up the Gospels. So uh, most of us are familiar with John 3.16, and most of us can probably quote John 3.16. So I've chosen to read it from the Amplified Bible this morning. And uh, the Amplified Bible, the language changes just a little. The meaning doesn't, but it's more of a, of a language that we would speak today. And it, it puts a little emphasis on some different things. And that's what I'm going to preach out of this morning. If you have any other translation, it's still going to be relevant. It's still going to be enough the same that you'll recognize it. But in the Amplified Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his begotten, unique son, so that whoever would believe in him, trust in him, cling to him, and rely on him would not perish and come to destruction and be lost, 
but would have everlasting eternal life. Like so many verses in the Bible, I think we become so familiar with the words, and I think songs, we do the same way. We become so familiar with them that uh, sometimes the, the meaning loses their, uh, the words lose their meaning to us because we're so used to hearing them. Uh, that's why I chose to kind of use the Amplified Bible because it changes a little bit. And this, this verse that we're all familiar with comes at the end of a, a uh, memorable dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. They're talking there in John, and uh, Jesus taught some remarkable things as he's teaching uh, Nicodemus. He teaches some strange things. This, this high leader, a uh, 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 mighty leader in the Jewish community, uh, he came and did what few Pharisees did during this time. He came to Jesus, and he came for some answers. He said, Jesus, I want to learn from you. He came at night, but he, at least he came, and he said, Jesus, I want to learn some things from you. And Nicodemus probably expected to hear some quiet ABCs, you know, this is what we do, step one, step two, step three, and, and something that, uh, that, that he would have just understood, that he would have kind of said, well, I've heard all this, I just wanted to hear it from you, but, but he didn't hear that. He may have been startled what Jesus said. If you're in John chapter 3, and I don't think I have this scripture up to, for you to look at, but there was a man of the Pharisees. This is verse 1 named Nicodemus, Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus. He said, Rabbi, you know that you're a good, we know you're a good teacher. We know that you were one sent by God. And right in the middle of that conversation, Jesus stops. He doesn't stop. He stops him. Nicodemus is there. He's going through all the, the you're a good guy, you're a good teacher. And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus comes, he wants to learn something from Jesus, and Jesus cuts right to it. He says, no one will see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then down in verse 14 of John chapter 3, Jesus says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, we're going to talk about Numbers chapter 21 next week. I'm going to mention a few things today, but we're going to talk about this passage of Scripture. So what was Jesus telling him? Just as the poison snakes were biting the, the Hebrew children in Numbers chapter 21, and uh, because of that they were dying, uh, Jesus said the same is true today, that, that the poison of sin is killing people in the world. And because of this poison, everyone is infected with this poison, and there's nothing we can do to, to uh, cure ourselves. See, Nicodemus would have been familiar with Jesus saying about uh, the snake that was lifted up because he was a, remember, he's a Pharisee. He would have understood the teaching from Numbers. So Jesus puts that scripture on him, and, and he says, there's nothing you can do to cure yourself, just like those folks in Numbers 21. There was nothing they could do to cure yourself. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus is speaking to a holy man here. He's speaking to a holy person. There was, there was only one cure found in Numbers chapter 21, and that's when uh, Moses lifted the bronze snake up on the pole, and, and if they were snake bit, they were to look at that bronze serpent on the pole, and, and as they looked at that snake was lifted up, they would find healing there. So he, he came and he said, in the same manner, the only cure for sin in our lives, the only thing that, that will cure our sins is if we look towards Christ and the cross. And that's why he says, if I'm lifted up, 
So that picture of that bronze snake that was lifted in the wilderness and that picture of Jesus Christ who was lifted from this earth, he said, you, you need to look at me. You, you have to turn towards Christ and, and Jesus on the cross. It all seems so easy, doesn't it? It all seems like it's too easy. And you may ask, well, it's, it was easy. It's easy for us. But, but it wasn't easy for Christ. It wasn't easy for Nicodemus as, as he looked there and, and he talked about, uh, here's what you must do to inherit the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. I've, I've said this over and over the last few months. Nicodemus and the Pharisees, they just thought they had a free entrance into heaven because they were Jews. They were descendants of Abraham. So, hey, we're in. We're in. And, and he comes to Jesus and Jesus cuts to the quick and says, hey, this is it. The, the first verse that a lot of us memorized when we were kids was John 3.16. And, and I want us to take that simple message of John 3.16. And, and I want us to think about how much God loves us and, and what that loves. And how could we measure John 3.16? How can we measure what Jesus is saying in John chapter 3.16? And, and do you think we can, we can define that word so that we find right there? For God... So love the world. I want to define that little word so. And Paul, he, he warned his readers once in Ephesians chapter 3. This is the second part of verse 17. But you can look at it there with me. And it says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Listen, here's Paul's prayer that we might grasp, that we might get a hold of how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. So this morning, as we look at this passage of John 3.16, this simple message, I want to try to, to use a yardstick kind of. I, I want to kind of lay down some ideals and, and just determine a little bit the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's love. Now, all we can do is give it a good try, so that's what we're going to do, and, and those four things are what we're going to cover this morning. So this is it. Wide. How wide is the love of God? We find it in John 3, 16, that it's, it's as wide as whoever. That's the width of God's love. How wide? God's enormous arms, it, it encompasses the entire earth. That It encompasses whoever. So this morning, if you would say, I'm one of whoever, I'm part of this earth, I'm part of this world, and then we need to understand that, that, like the song says, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's, that's the, the, the width of God's love, that, that whoever would love him. God loves all. God, God loves each of us. God loves you, and God loves me, and he loves Whoever, one of the, the most uh, personal scriptures in the Bible is, is John 3.16. It doesn't say that God so loved Jake Vaughn, because if it said that, it might exclude some of you. If it said that, it might even exclude me, because there's probably some more Jake Vaughns out there somewhere, and I would always be wondering if that's me or is that someone else. But God said this, I love the world so much. That means you, and that means me. And, and Nicodemus and the Jews, they were ready to accept the fact that Jesus loved the nation of Israel. They, wanted, they would accept that willingly, but they did not want to accept the fact that he loved the world and that he came for the world. 
That's why they denied him. That's why they put him on the cross. It was God's, God had predestined that for Jesus Christ, but, but the Jews didn't understand that. They said God loves us, but not the world. And, and today, if you would say, well, God loves some people, but I'm not sure that God loves me, we need to look at this verse and we need to say God's love is as wide as who I am, as wide as the world, and I, He encompasses the whole world. God loves us because of the kind of God He is, not because of the kind of people we are. Did you catch that? He loves us because that's the kind of God He is. He doesn't love us because we're a lovable people. The Bible says that the best we have to offer God is filthy rags, but God loves us because He's a loving God. He also loves the lowest, meanest person you can think of. He loves them the same that He loves us. He died for that person just like He died for us. That's the love of God. A a country boy, he was examined for church membership, and he was asked how he got saved, and his reply was, I did my part, and God did His. They thought a few minutes and thought, well, there's a little flaw in his theology. They began to probe, and they said, well, just exactly what was your part and exactly what was God's part? And, and he said, my part was sinning, and his part was saving. I've done run from him as fast as these sinful legs and this sinful rebellious heart could carry me, and he done took after me, and he done run me down. That was his part. That's, that's what God is. The only way any of us is saved is because God has pursued us. God loves us and God chased us down. Whoever, no certain limit, not the first five callers, not only a hundred left, but whosoever, not even the secret sound. Does anybody know the secret sound? Just my family, isn't that horrible? So we're going to town the other night, and Denise said, oh, put it on, KLTY. They're playing the secret sound. I said, what is the secret sound? If you know the secret sound, you're going to win $3,000, and you get to give 500 to somebody else. So the secret sound, what is it? Do you want to share with the group? Because y'all, the only, they won't even share with your brother and sister right here in Christ. They say, we're not sharing. Oh, it's up to 4,000 now. So God's love doesn't, you don't have to know the secret sound. You don't, have to, you don't have to know those things. How wide is God loves? Whoever, whoever, that includes you. He, 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 his love is as wide as whoever or whosoever. Here's the length of his love, and, it, and that length of his love is, is demonstrated. So what's the length of his love? And verse 16 continues that he, even he, gave up his only begotten, his only unique son. You know what the test of love is? The, the test of love is really what length would you go to? You know, love is kind of measured in, in, in the length that it goes, the sacrifices it goes, the, the length it goes to, and that's kind of the test of God's love. A, a young lady received the following note from her sweetheart, I love you. I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the deepest river for you. I'd go through snow, and I'd go through hell for you. P.S. If it doesn't rain Wednesday, I'll be over to see you. <laughs> you know, we, we demonstrate our love and, and by, by, by how far we would go. 
And, and God went all the way to the cross. He demonstrated his love for us. Yet while we were sinners, he died on the cross. That's what Christ did. He, he demonstrated that. He went all the way to the cross. You see Romans 5, 6 and 8 says, you see at just the right time, when we were powerless, what were we powerless to? We were powerless to save ourselves. We were snake bit. We were dying. And at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us, yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's how far Christ's love went. That's the length of his love. That yet while we're sinners, God is a giver. His, his very nature is to give his best. That's, that's his nature. And his very nature is not to hold back. God didn't send an angel to die for us. God didn't send any man or woman that would be sinful to die for us. He sent his very own son that he might die for us. God couldn't go on any farther on our behalf. He went as far as he could. The length of his love, as far as he could go. That's what God done. He, he gave us His only begotten Son. That's as far as He could take us. So He demonstrated His love, how wide that whosoever, his, the length of His love, He demonstrated by sending His Son. So how deep is His love? And, and the depth of His love is as deep as hell. That's how deep His love is. And, and now if we discover that, we, we see the depth of God's love. Look in verse 16 again. That whoever believes in me, whoever trusts, clings to, and relies on, shall not perish, shall not come to destruction, shall not be lost. His love is as deep as hell is. That's how, that's how his love is, that he loved us so much that who would believe would not perish, would have everlasting life. If, if you don't get anything today, I want you to get this part. If you're listening, say, I am. Many people think that mankind is on trial. You may think today you're on trial and you stand before God and, and as God is in heaven and the Holy Spirit's among us that, that we're on some kind of trial, but, but that's not the case. We're, we're not on trial to see if we can be a better person or not a better person because that's not true. Look at verse 17 and 18. Now, everybody knows John 3, 16, don't we? We can kind of quote that. We kind of know that verse. But how many people can quote 17 and 18 from memory? Not, not a whole lot. Not even me at times. For, I want you to listen to what it says. This is a hallelujah, amen verse. For God did not send His Son into the world to do what? To condemn the world. Man, we need to catch that. We're not on trial Christ didn't come to condemn the world, but Christ came to save the world through Him. Listen again. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. For whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but listen, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, we're not 
before a judge to see whether we're guilty or not. We're not in that state right now. We don't stand before God to, to see if we're guilty. We're already guilty. We're already snake bit because we inherited a sinful nature. And because of sin, we're condemned already. And all we need is a pardon. We need something that says, okay, you're already condemned. You were condemned from the day Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And, and our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam and Eve, we inherited a sinful nature. And because of that, we stand condemned already. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, that He might save us, not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, that He might save us through the blood of Jesus. That's great news, folks. The best people in the world, they're sinners. The, the, the worst people in the world, they're sinners. And, and for so many people, their lives center around their own interest and not Christ. But, but Christ came that, that He might save us, that He might pardon us. Christ comes to our prison and He offers us a full pardon. I don't know if y'all watch any westerns. I do. Do y'all know Joe Kidd? Y'all ever watch that? Clint Eastwood and uh, Robert Duvall. And, and so Joe Kidd, uh, he shoots a deer out of season and, and does some stuff. He goes before the judge and the judge says, okay, you get 10 days in prison or $10. He said, I'll take the time. I'll take the time in prison. And, and the, makes the sheriff mad and the sheriff says, well, Joe, you're not going to lay up in that prison. You're going you're gonna to pay for that. You're going you're gonna to pay for your sins. You're going you're gonna to work. You're going to paint. You're going to sweep. And, and so the next scene, here comes, uh, here comes Mr. Harlan in. He's a Harlan. He's a land dealer. And that's Robert Duvall. And uh, he says, I want to see Joe Kidd. And they said, well, Joe Kidd's locked up in prison. He said, well, pay the fine on him. Well, it goes back, and here's Joe Kidd. He's out. He's, he's sweeping, and, and the sheriff says, hey, do you know Mr. Harlan? Never heard of him. He said, well, he's paid your fine. You're, you're free. And he says, hmm, he can't be all bad, and he just drops his broom and walks off. He realized, hey, somebody's came. Somebody paid my price. Somebody's pardoned me. <laughs> hey, I'm free. I, I walked out of the prison. I, I realized that, that somebody came and somebody has, has put up a ransom for me. And that's what Christ done for us. Uh, he came to us. He came to our prison. He offered us a full pardon. And when that full pardon came, he said, I've paid your sentence. I, I've taken your hell that you deserved, and I've, I've paid that. I've paid that price. Hell's real. And, and, you know, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven the whole time he was on earth. He, he, he spoke of hell more often than he, than he did heaven. And, and that's, where, that's where folks are headed today. And, and I, I don't want to be negative about that, but that's just the truth. And we need to hear the truth sometimes. That because of our sinful nature, we're headed to hell. And, and God's love is deeper than the hell we're headed towards. Luke 1 says this, Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through there. We can look through Scripture and we can see so many times that, that Jesus Christ came and he passed through an area. Why did he pass through uh, Jericho? Y'all know this because we talked about it a few weeks ago. He passed there because Zacchaeus was there. He came to Jericho. He met with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus saw the Savior. God pardoned him, and Jesus moved on to the next town. Over and over, we see Jesus going through a region. He comes across a man living in the tombs that's demon-possessed. He heals the man. He goes to the next region. 
Over and over and over in Scripture, we see that Jesus is coming. He comes through an area. He doesn't stay. He comes through. He offers a pardon, and then he moves on. John 16, 28 says this. Jesus said, I came from the Father. I entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. He tells his disciples that. What's Jesus saying? Jesus entered the world. He passed through this world. Why did he do that? He passed through because you and I were here, and he wanted to save us. So as he passes through, he says, you know what? My love is deeper than hell, and and as it is that, I'm going to come through. I'm going to pass by today, and I'm going to offer a pardon And we're to drop the broom. We're to hand it over and say, you know what? I'm going to accept the pardon and I'm going to move on. What love Jesus has for us. Here's the last thing. The height of God's love. It's infinite. Back in John 3.16, it finishes this way, but have eternal, everlasting Life. The height of his love, it's, it's infinite. The height of his love is this, it's heaven. That's the, that's the height of Christ's love for us. It's, it's eternity in heaven. I, I'm going to heaven one day and you may think, well, you must be a good person. On the contrary, I'm a terrible person. No amens, but she was shaking her head down here. But, but hey, that's the truth. We sang a song, and I, I point this out a lot. Doug and Jim and I used to sing a song that says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, we're not saved because we're a good person. We're saved because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He said, I'm going to come, and, and when you accept my pardon, my, my love for you is infinite. You can have everlasting life. And once we see those things, we realize that that, that means our world here may end, but there's, there's an eternity, there's infinity that waits before us. So many people that think salvation is like a rolling a ball up a hill. We, we struggle and we push and we roll a ball up the hill and, and then it gets away from us and it, it rolls to the bottom of the hill and we have to go down and we have to start over again. We have to start pushing and trying to roll that ball up the hill. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that once we've become a child of God that we have eternal life. Isn't that great? And when we accept Christ and we have eternal life, God gave it to us, and He's not going to take that away. He, he gave us His body, and, and one day this body will be decaying in a grave somewhere, or one day the trumpet's going to sound, and all of us that are alive will be caught up together in the clouds. And the Bible says this, He's going to give us a new body, a new heaven, and a new earth, and we're going to live with Him for all eternity. That's, that's, the, that's the height of God's love for us. That yet while we were sinners, God came and He loved us so much that He paid our pardon. And, and He says, for a lifetime and beyond a lifetime, for, for eternity, my love is for you. Shortly after the Korean War, a, a little boy was wandering the streets and he was seeking shelter and it was bitterly cold there in the winter. And a night watchman noticed his situation. He said, go, my child, to yonder house. And say to the one that answers the gate, John 3.16. But I don't know John 3.16, said the lad. Nevertheless, out of desperation, he went to the gate. He, some stranger came and opened the gate, and he expressed, you know, I, I don't understand. But he whispered to him, John 3.16. 
says the lady smiled and took him into the warm house, and the lad was puzzled, but he thought, I, I don't know what this John 3.16, but it sure makes the boy warm. Seeing his gaunty cheeks, the lady soon had him seated before a steaming bowl of, of soup, and he ate, and he thought again, I don't know what this John 3.16 is, but it sure makes the boy full. After he had a bath, he lay down in the warmth of the bed, and tears flowed down his cheeks, and he said, I don't know what this John 3.16, but it must be the most wonderful thing in the world because it makes a strange lady love a Korean boy. You know what? The Bible says this, God so loved the world. He came not to punish us, but to free us. God loves you and I. Let's bow our heads together this morning. He loves us so much that he gave his son. He took our hell that we might have his life. Not after we get things straightened out, not after we work it out and understand it all, but just as we are at just the right time, yet while we were sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us and that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. So what's your response? For Joe Kidd, it was, I accept the pardon. I don't know the guy. I know this, I'm paying for my sins and a man just paid for them and I'm going to take it. For us, we're snake bit because we inherited a sinful nature. Jesus Christ came. He said, you know what? I want to pay your debt. I want, to, I want to issue you a pardon. So it's our job to respond. I done run from God, and I done run from God, and he done took out after me, and he caught me, and here's my part. I was sinning. Christ came. He paid my price. And simply for asking, I can have that eternal life. You know, we just admit we're sinners. We understand I've got a sinful nature that I inherited. It ain't because of what I've done. It's because of who I am inside. We know Christ didn't come to condemn. We're already condemned. But he came to save. He came that we might have life. That we might have life more abundantly. So what's your response to this? God so loved. God so loved. It demands a response. Father, I pray this morning, as we just consider your love for us, we consider that, Father, you loved us so much. We, we understand a little bit of the depth and the heights and the widths and the length of your love today, Father. And Lord, we know that you came not because of who we are, good or bad, but you came because we needed a Savior. We needed somebody that could pay our price, that could pay our debt. And as you searched through heaven, you found one perfect lamb to become our sacrifice. And Father, freely for the asking, today we can have eternal life. I pray your spirit today would strive with us, Father, that we would just 
have a little bit of understanding of your depth of the love you have for us, that we would turn our eyes upon you, the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory, in the light of your grace. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.